We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lukomsky uh, coming to you from the comfortable temperatures of Northfield, Minnesota. But not not for long, Matt. Another month of now, we'll be freezing our whatever off up here. <laughs> <laughs> your nose, John, I think is the yes, word. Yes, that's what I meant to say, the nose. Yes. <laughs> I'm Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark. Uh, here in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, where it's always beautiful. <laughs> a temperate 75 degrees year-round. <laughs> no, far from it right now. It's, uh, it's hot and sticky right now. <laughs> oh, boy. Serving here uh, in Ascension Lutheran Church. And I tell you what, Matt, we usually have a, a little lighter stuff. But, but if you don't mind, I want to get right at today's topic because I have something really, really important to share with people. But before I can, I, sh- I can share that, I have to have some things that lead up to it, okay? Okay, let's, let's dig uh, in. All right, so if you wouldn't mind starting right off by reading 1 Corinthians 9, say verses 19 through 23. Okay, very good. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So I I don't think we realize this all the time as a church, but actually the whole design of Christianity is to, to not change anything. We, we, we go into a culture and a place and we just become like the people of that culture and place to those in the law, to those under the law, to those who are Jews, uh, uh, to those that are weak, because we just want to bring the gospel to people. OK, we're not looking to offend people or trouble people. In fact, though, we're free of everything, as Paul says, we want to be a servant of all. And yet, uh, from a, a devotion we had uh, several weeks ago, I realized that even though the church doesn't seem to want to change anything, it actually ends up changing everything. And, and I give for you an example of what Christianity did to the uh, um, uh, culture of marriage, all right? Because you remember, Matt, we had this passage from Ephesians 5, where, where what, did, what did Paul tell women? What, what, are, what are wives supposed to do? Yeah, submit to your husbands uh, as to the Lord. And and there's nothing radical about that, okay? Uh, 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 Any pagan philosopher could have said that. In fact, several of the pagan philosophers did say that. But the thing that changes everything is what Paul says to the husband, because what does he say to the husband? Husbands love your wives, even as, as Christ laid down his life for the church and gave himself up for her. 
And there is no pagan philosopher who would tell a husband to agape. That's the word there, that great Christian word for love. No husband. In fact, no no Greek philosopher would tell you to do that to anybody. <laughs> yeah. No, that's not how. No, no, you love them as a friend. Uh, they do good to you. You do good to them. That's how the world works. But to agape, to sacrificially love, to love an enemy, to love as Christ love, which, of course, is the really radical thing in both of those days because Paul relates both the, the, the law of servanthood. I became a servant of all, Paul says. He asked wives to be servants. The, the law of sacrificial headship, those are all related to Jesus Christ, who is both our head and our servant, and who indeed gave up everything, gave up his life for us, so husbands should do. I realized that, that the Christianity is doing that all over, and I want to give you a second example where it seems like it's not changing anything, but it really changes everything. If you wouldn't mind reading the first few verses, say it through verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 11. Okay, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, let me just end up there because, again, this is all about Christ. Okay, we're not giving you some kind of philosophy, some kind of morality here. Everything that Paul talks about here has to do with our relationship with Christ and what Christ has done for us. Okay, now I'll let you go ahead yeah. and read the no, next verse. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah, go John, just real quick, because, I mean, even that Ephesians 5 chapter you talked about and. You know, it sounds a little controversial, countercultural, certainly, even today, uh, but it's all in Christ. Um, and if the husband really is loving his wife in Christ, well, then, yeah, every, it, it works. Um, so I appreciate that, that it's the lens of, of Christ is what we're talking about here. So, and, and as long as we've taken a break, you've got to realize, too, what he says to the wife there, hipotasso is yeah. the word that is used there. That's what all Christians are supposed to do. <laughs> so mm -hmm. in a way, the wife doesn't give a, a, a new commandment because all of us are to be servants. That's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, good. All right. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I command commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head was shaven. All right, so let's just stop there. Uh, have you ever, and, and you're, how many years you've been in the ministry now, Matt? It's been a while. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, boy, 14 years? Isn't that incredible? Uh, yeah, That's years. amazing. I remember when you were just this little <laughs> little baby vicar. So, oh, man, you were so cute back then, and you're still <laughs> cute. Have you ever preached on this text? Oh, my goodness. I'd have to look. Um, maybe once, you know. Did but you it, really? It's, it's a challenging one. It's, yeah, it's, a, I, I, I like it because, you know, on the surface, like, well, what, what, what does this have to do with me, right? Uh, but yet when we unpack it, we see how it, well, again, maybe it does apply to our lives today. But no, it's, a, it's, it's not the go-to text when you look at what, what am I going to preach at on a Sunday? And you got a few texts to pick from this one, you know. It's a challenging one. 
Yeah, so I, I don't I don't think I ever it's not in the lectionary, obviously. And and I've never preached on this in my forty years of ministry. Yeah, yeah. And it's only now in my old age and stupidity that I would even <laughs> dare touch it. Yeah, I you know, like a ten foot pole, that that's kind of thing. Um uh, but but here's what I find interesting. So Paul is telling us that there is this tradition that he is maintaining, and I think it's interesting he does call it a tradition. But the tradition is is that when 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 women are, are in church, are they praying or prophesying, uh, that they should have their head covers. And, and by the way, dang it. Excuse me. Is that that's not cursing, is it? To say, dang it. <laughs> I think you're safe. <laughs> okay. Because um, I, 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 I actually sent Matt some of these verses. Okay. <laughs> just so people don't think, wow, Matt's good. He just looks that stuff in the Bible right away. Uh, um, and I wanted to send you the the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, but oh, okay. somehow, darn it, I sent you the ESV because the NASB actually has this uh, uh, much closer to the original language because because i don't know if people realize but the word for wife and the word for husband in the greek is simply the word for for man and woman um that they're not two different words the greek doesn't have a word for wife it doesn't have a word for husband it has the word for man and we know what a man is and woman and we know what a woman is um and the nasb does that it doesn't say wives it it doesn't say that it doesn't say husband but it says women it says man uh which the the esv does here where it says every man who prays or prophecies Uh, then it says but every wife and it shouldn't say wife it should say every woman who prays and prophecies with her head uncovered uh, because these commandments are not being just given to to wives, but they're being given to every woman in the uh, uh, church assembly. But now, now, here's my next question. How did you picture that when it talked about the head covering for the woman? How did you picture that in your mind, what Paul was saying there? Yeah, I think what probably comes to most people's minds is what we see in artwork, this idea of, you know, uh, there's a, a head covering over the, the woman and um, you know, we have pictures and images of Mary, for instance, um, and part of part of their garment, even. And, and, and you know, good for you, because honestly, that isn't how I pictured it. <laughs> OK, <laughs> because my, my image of the head covering was my grandmother, uh, Anita. Granny, we called her, who every Easter would have to go down to the uh, 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 Bunchu, I think it was. I think that was the department store. Uh, or, or it was uh, Jones. Uh, and she would buy these really fancy Easter bonnets. Oh, did did yeah. your wife do that? Did she get we, the Easter bonnet? We, we've done that a few years. Yeah. Lisa, my wife, and then Anna, our daughter, would wear Easter bonnets. And it was catching on around here for a while. Um <laughs> But yeah, not not as much nowadays. But yeah, it's it's kind of a fun thing to do. And of course, the thing was is that was for spring. But of course, you'd have to get another hat for summer and come fall and winter. Of course, it was another trip down to Bun Shoes, so you can get your your winter. You know, uh, and when my grandmother passed away, we had to clean out her house, and her attic literally was filled with tens of boxes of hats that hats. she had collected. Wow. Uh, and so that was what I, when I heard a head covering, that's what I was thinking. Sure. Um, but see, you're absolutely right. That's not at all what Paul was talking about. Uh, he's talking about what, what we've, what we've become familiar with now because we have so many immigrants who have moved here to the United States. God bless them. And, and of course their hair, you can't see their hair. 
you know, it's not like they've got something on the top that kind of accentuates the beauty of their coiffure. Is that how you say it? Their bouffant. Bouffant. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, because it, it, as you said, like with Mary, it totally covers their their yes. hair and their head, and maybe even a portion of their face. Um, and that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about head coverings now. So, dear Granny, no, I, I, he wasn't talking about you wearing your Easter bonnet. Um, and and how would that go over in our culture today, Matt? What, John? The the well, Easter the, bonnet if, if we, or we, the no, well, we don't <laughs> the Easter bonnet. Well, even that doesn't go over real well <laughs> Not uh, anymore. But but how would it if if the wife had to the woman had to cover her whole head so you couldn't see any of her hair? How would yeah, that go I know over? I, it would it people would take notice. It would turn heads. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, you would stick out if that was the case. And, and and so we talked about the equalitarians uh, uh, a few weeks ago, the the people who believe that uh, men and women should be absolutely equal. And and, and by golly, uh, we 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 need to point out that they do have a passage that comes to mind, and we should remember that passage. That in God's eyes, what does it say? Slave, free. Uh, male, female, uh, they're all equal before Jesus Christ, okay? So, yeah, we need to remember that. As far as God's concerned, he loves everybody. He has no preference for men or women or slave or free or Jew or Greek, all right? He loves the whole world. Uh, but it is absolutely true that in Paul's culture and in many cultures, many cultures today, see, we think we're the majority opinion, but I would suspect if we started doing it numerically, if we had a vote, uh, there would be more cultures that would say, no, no, women need to be covered up like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the thing is, is as long as husbands are loving their wives and as long as men are, are taking care of women like Christ would watch over uh, his church, there shouldn't be a problem with that, okay? Mm-hmm. It's because that, that head covering becomes part of something else, something that is not God-pleasing, uh, of a dominance rather than an attitude of service. Uh, there, therein lies the problem. But it's not with the, the culture of head coverings. Yes. Um, yeah, we have, uh, even here at Ascension, we have uh, Nepali refugees. You mentioned immigrants and refugees, and they wear head coverings, many of the women do. Uh, not all the time, but but sometimes in worship. And, oh, yeah, that, that's great. No, I'm glad they do. Um, that's that's part of the culture, and uh, glad that's part of their worship life, too. And, and yeah, th- boy, perfect illustration, Matt, because as Christians here in the United States, we need to be really conscious of that, that we will become all things to all people so that we might give some, we might save some, and we might share the gospel with them. So that's a great thing. And I hope your people in the congregation will make those, those ladies feel comfortable with that dress because that's their culture, and we ought to honor and respect that. But now let me share with you the thing that Paul is totally changing in the culture with these words that, see, we miss. We miss because we don't know the context. And I think for most Christians, we've just thrown 1 Corinthians chapter 11 out. We don't need that. That was a tradition. That was a different time and place. But do you know who it was in the days of Paul that would have their heads totally covered? Do Do you know, Matt? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm asking stuff that I've studied, yeah, but yeah, most people yeah. don't. What group uh, of women? It was a group of women. Well, married women, right? You know, that was yes. a sign of, of being married is to, to have your head covered. And, and not just married women, but high class, upper society married women would have their heads covered. 
Um, that was a distinction of, of society to be free, free women. They probably wouldn't do that. They probably didn't have the money to do it for one thing. Uh, but certainly a high society women in Greek and Roman culture, they would have, have the veil. And, and in fact, uh, we were, my, my little granddaughter, Lauren talked us into watching a movie called Tuck Everlasting. Have you ever seen that movie, Matt? Tuck oh, is it about the cars? It is about the Tucker, the car? Major? No, 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 no. It's about a family called Tuck who okay. have had drank uh, uh, from a spring that made them immortal. Oh, I don't think I've seen and that. Couldn't one. die. Okay, well, it's on Disney Plus if anyone's interested. Uh, and it was an interesting uh, movie because uh, it turns out to to live forever here on Earth maybe is not as good as you think it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But 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 anyway, uh, what what tickled me is it, it involves a high society mother and her daughter, and when they would go into town, they were completely veiled. Uh, it was a thin veil, but they had the hats and the veil covered their face. They had a, a funeral service, and again, and I'm picturing this because I remember when women would do that, where they would go, and again, uh, the the high society woman, again, she would have her veil over her face. Um, but see, here's the radical thing Paul does, because if we could read it in the original Greek, he doesn't just say that wives should have their heads covered, that wives should be veiled, but he actually says that women should do that. Which means, Matt, that if we were in the early church sitting in the balcony, where of course they probably didn't have balconies, but just play along, <laughs> and we would look out over the the assembly there, we would not be able to tell the rich people from the freed women from even the slave women, would we? Yeah, if they're all, yeah, they're all kind of an equal ground. Yep. Uh, and so again, see, we read that and, and we don't realize what a radical thing. It didn't seem radical. It seemed like Paul was just advocating the traditions of the day. As he says, that's what we do. Um but actually, he's totally changed thing in the Christian church because there would be no distinction, even as he says, no distinction between uh, Greek and Jew and male and female and slave and free. Let me share with you yet a third example, if I could, Matt. One of the things that people criticize Paul for, because they, they love to criticize Paul. They don't want to say anything about Jesus. You know, you can't say anything about Jesus. Although I'm thinking the same criticism could be made of Jesus. And that is that Paul never speaks against slavery. And this is really a very touchy topic in our present sure. culture. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I can't recall. Jesus never speaks against slavery either, does he? No, not that I can recall. I can't think of any instance where he condemns that. Uh, and, of course, it is interesting that there are, are people who, who call themselves Christians, and they actually used Paul's letter to Philemon to defend slavery. Uh, in fact, that would be their argument. Well, here we've got a slave, and Paul never says to Philemon that he should free his slave Onesimus. But again, I think it's because we're just not paying attention, all right? Can I ask you to share just a couple of verses from Philemon sure. uh, with us? So again, we don't need to have chapters here because it is only one chapter. Uh, but if you could read Philemon 10, verse 10. Okay, verse 10 of Philemon. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
Now, uh, Anismus is who? who? Who's Anismus in this story? So Anismus is a slave. So yeah. uh, Philemon is the, the slave owner, and Paul is writing to Philemon on behalf of Anismus. And what does he call Anismus here? This is what we overlook. Yeah, What's he so call him? He calls the slave Anismus my child. Yeah, and, and Paul calls himself what? Um, his father. Yeah. <laughs> um, as, yeah, the father of Onesimus. So so here's the thing. And again, since we don't understand Greek and Roman culture, we don't appreciate that. But but the, the, the Greeks said of a, of a slave that he was a man without a father. And, and that was literally true, because the way you got slaves back in those days is you captured people in battle. You literally took them away from their families. Uh, in the Old Testament story, we have the story of, of uh, what was it, Naaman, uh, uh, the, the guy with leprosy. Am I get the oh, right yeah, story sure. there? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And, and, and who talks to Naaman? Who, who tells Naaman he can go and get healed? So it's a, a slave girl that's from Israel. She's the one that yeah. tells him about Elisha, the prophet. So this girl has been taken away from her family, and she'll never see her family again. She is without a father. And, and that's basically how slavery worked. Even if a child was born to a slave, the mother knew she wouldn't get to keep that child. That child, as soon as that child was old enough to work, that child would be taken away, sold to somebody else. And that's how the Greeks referred to slaves, as the man without a father. And that was literally true. So don't you see how powerful this is? When Jesus, or rather Paul says of this Onesimus, he's got a father, uh, Philemon. I'm his father. In fact, the word he uses there for my child is a powerful, powerful word in the Greek. It's technon. And, and it doesn't mean just any child in general, but it means your child. Uh, so for you, it would be Noah and Anna. Those are your technon. Those are your only technon. No one else in your context could be referred to as your technon, your child, other than because they are your children. And what a powerful thing for, for Paul to say. Now, this, this Onesimus, this slave of yours, he's my child. I'm his father. But listen to what he says then in verse 15 and 16, which is equally as powerful. So Paul says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? And, and, and here's one reason why I just sometimes despise the ESV. It, it's a good translation, general law, but they will not translate slave as slave. They always want to stick in this word bondservant. He's no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. My dear people, what it says in the Greek is he is a slave. But now Paul says you should not regard him as a slave, but you should regard him as a what? Uh, a beloved brother. As a brother. In fact, how much more? How much more? Now, Matt, let me ask you this. Would you enslave your brother? No, of course not. In fact, actually, what, what do you owe to your brother? What love? Uh, love, <laughs> to see care. His beloved, care, a family member. What, a, a when your family care. dies, right, and it comes time to, to divide up whatever your father and, and mother and family owned, how about your brother? Sure, yeah, yeah, part of that inheritance too, a shared inheritance. So do you realize how radical a statement that is for Paul to make? 
that this man, who's not just a slave, he's a runaway slave, <laughs> okay? Yeah. Which, again, is just about as worthless as you can be, at least in their cultural mind. And yet Paul says you actually should treat him like he's a brother, which would mean, you know what? You actually should be willing to share even your own inheritance with this fella, your brother. Now, see, again, he never addresses the issue of slavery, does he? But in the words that he uses, I don't know how slavery could continue to exist mm -hmm. if you regard these people not as some subhuman thing that you use as property, but as someone who's actually your beloved brother, by the way, your beloved brother. Uh, and, if, and we didn't get to the most important thing, Matt, so I guess we'll have to do that next week. Uh, <laughs> so come back next week and we'll share with you why this is so important to you and me. But any final comments here? No, I would just say well, we started, this is all this conversation is in Christ. And I think these family-like titles uh, is because of Christ too, who we are in him, that new creation. And we see that coming out, I think, in a very powerful way in Philemon. So more about this next week on Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. The basics.